Welcome to our networking podcast series. My guest today is currently one of the most photographed and talked about senior women in her field. She made history when she became the first ever female college commander at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst. She has appeared in more national newspapers and been interviewed more times than I have had hot breakfasts, including by Kay Burley on Sky News and Lauren Laverne recently on Desert Island Discs. And if that's not enough, in 2016, she was a member of the FA's advisory board assembled by Gareth Southgate, which included Dave Brailsford, Michael Barber, Manage Bedell and Matthew Syed. We joined the army at the same time and having trained with her at Sandhurst, I can also vouch that she is great fun and someone with whom I am still honoured to be occasionally confused by dint of the similarity of our names, although we're not related, sadly. Colonel Lucy Giles, welcome to the virtual studio. It's lovely to be here, Lisa, and it's my privilege to be sometimes confused <laughs> with you. I remember getting your post at Sandhurst, etc. Yes. But no, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, I never opened any of your letters, I promise, I promise you. <laughs> so, Lucy, it's unbelievable to say this, but 30 years ago this year, we were both about to enter Sandhurst as officer cadets with trepidation and our ironing boards. At that time, had you given any thought to how your career may progress? And did you ever imagine that you would be in the position that you are now, one of the most senior women in the British Army, an inspiration to many, and let's face it, a bit of a poster girl? <laughs> um, well, the, the, that's very kind. But um, I think the short answer is I only um, joined really for a couple of years to see how it would go. And I, I didn't envisage... Um, having a 30-year a career ahead of me. Uh, most of my uh, jobs that I went to next were, oh, that sounds interesting. I might as well have a go at doing that. And then I would switch and do something else. And and time just seems to have just cracked on, wow. you know. So I, I, I didn't, no, I didn't see this as a full career, uh, especially at uh, 20 years old, 21 years old when I I was sort of started foraying into this field. Interesting. So a great mm. example of just sort of flowing with and taking opportunities as they arise rather than having a clear plan and a clear direction. Yeah, and I can vividly remember leaving university without... Uh, in fact, I actually wanted to, to go into biology and the nat uh, work in the natural history unit. And I thought um, my time in the university officer training corps was great fun, pretty social, quite challenging, which is what I enjoyed about it. But I thought, oh, I, I've got a biology degree, of course, I should be using it. And uh, yeah, and, and I thought, well, um, I'll capitalise on that. I did some attachment with at Bristol at the BBC Natural History Unit. Um, and I'll never forget one person saying, um, oh, we've got a naturalist, uh, we got it, we got an entomologist here, um, can David chat to her? And, I, and it was to David Attenborough, but I never managed to have that opportunity because he was doing his talkovers. But um, I found, I found, however, that for me, working in that industry was pretty cutthroat. And um, what I gravitated back to was the people. And that's probably going to be my enduring theme in this conversation is that the people make 
make um, things happen and um, it's getting having your confidence in yourself to, to go for um, opportunities that come up. Yeah, so. interesting. Well, that probably leads quite nicely on to my next question, really. So um, I'm going to be a bit indulgent, you know, confession, I'm going to be a bit indul- self-indulgent in this in this interview because uh, it sort of allows me to um, reminisce a little bit about my time in the army. So I remember age 23, my first command, um, joining my troop of 30 battle-hardened soldiers, oh my goodness, on exercise on the North Yorkshire Moors. And I know that you at age 25 um, were leading 72 soldiers, I believe, on operations in Bosnia. Um, you're now president of the army officer selection board and therefore seeing the likes of you and me those 30 years ago coming through um do you think those entering the army today are more or less or equally understanding of the level of responsibility they'll have at such a young age and then how transferable and recognized do you think those skills are outside the military Good question. I mean, I'll, I'll take the second part first, if that makes sense. And uh, the, the skills that we offer and and can be developed in the individuals uh, throughout, uh, you know, even a short time, I think, in the military are significantly transferable. I mean, when you're looking at frameworks for thinking, we call it an appreciation or an estimate. You know, it's just it's just a, a, a mechanisms of organising your thoughts. Um, we 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 have orders, which is just a communication me- um, framework in order to get your message across and make sure you really understand your plan. And importantly, you can communicate it to the right audience. So uh, that's just in in some of the thinking skills. But um, when you then juxtapose it with the a challenging lived experience, which you and I will have had, um, especially through training and, of course, in, in the um, different roles and responsibilities we've had, all of that leadership element, yes. I think, is is what certainly people are are after um, going um, into, you know, when people leave the army and are going into other um, sectors. Uh, but it's absolutely, definitely transferable. And, and, and with regards to... Um, what I'm seeing now, people coming through, I think they're chomping at the bit to have the freedom and the responsibility. Um, it's just that, that I don't. I'm not entirely sure that we, as a society, are particularly helping in that um, space. There, there is a tendency, I think, for for a bit of coddling, you know, of um, a bit of, um, and I feel myself doing it as a parent, you know thinking for my child rather than letting them think for themselves and make mistakes and it's being okay to make mistakes or to attempt something and not get it right you know it's important to have those lived and learned experiences so I think um when I'm I'm seeing a really high quality people really good talented people coming through Westbury um which is a huge privilege and there is something for everybody it may not be in the army but I think people thrive when they're given opportunity. And I think we've got to learn as a society to give more opportunity to that age group. That's a really good point. And that sort of empowerment piece, which gives confidence often, doesn't it? Empowering people to make their own decisions and make their own mistakes gives them confidence. So actually what you're talking about here is what we as a society and perhaps parents and mentors or teachers can do prior, you know, early formation stage at school or at university so that when you see these people come through Westbury, actually they've had that experience of taking the responsibility that ultimately they are being trained to do whilst they're at Sandhurst and beyond. Absolutely. And it's the the antithesis of it is, 
is micromanagement. Brilliant. No, that's that's great. So um, if I can sort of flip back a little bit to what I referred to um, in the in the introduction, um, I talked about what must have been, and I have to say, when I heard you were doing this, I was so envious, uh, must have been an incredible experience on the FA um, advisory board. Now, I deliberately want to avoid asking you the question about working your way up through a male-dominated world because you must have been asked it a million times. Um, but instead, again, I, I, I want to ask you two questions. Firstly, what did you learn about cognitive diversity from your FA experience? Um, and secondly, in your experience in the army, what do you think good looks like when women and men work well together um, and perhaps with perhaps an example to bring this to life? Uh, well, the the opportunity to work with Football Association and it, we, you know, sit in the room with um, Gareth Southgate and Phil Neville, who was who was running the, the Lionesses and managing them at the time, it was 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 profound actually. And I had to pinch myself that I was at St George's Park, sort of have, having a, a conversation with these amazing people. But it was the re I, I, and I said to um, the, the guy who was coordinating this, I said, "Well, I don't know really much about football at all, and I, I don't know some of these famous face people you're talking about." And he said, "We, we, we you know, exactly, you know, the, uh, you know, he said that Gareth is not really. He's got coaches to to do technique yes. training, and he's got uh, other people to, you know, manage talent in uh, in in that particular." Uh, context of, of playing the game but what they're really interested in is is some of the other stuff and of course I I, I went in there with um some of our leadership models um you know our task team individual which people probably listening to this would be familiar with but we we, we in the army we, we we sort of moved in a slightly different direction which is um that is part of a leadership journey so it's it's about um, understanding yourself, you know what leaders are, uh, what uh, how competent you are, what leaders know, what leaders do, which is that balance between developing individuals, building teams, and then achieving your goals, and then finally, um, you, you know how people do it, the behaviours that that underpin it, and 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 that flow was it's all I do every day, and when I'm hand railing my thinking or. Or, or conversations with people so and diversity in itself you, you've got to make the case in within you know as to why having a, a diverse group of people to, to try and look at a problem is going to make a difference enhance performance or productivity and if, if someone like David Brailsford famously is all about you know this making the small changes technically exactly to to, to have an accrued um, a, a, a effect and the, the social dividend that you get as well on um, even if you're in, in in a workplace of saying thank you very much to someone, you know, the fee that, you know, that person's going to work harder for you and it costs you nothing. So so, so it, it's just different perspectives. And so diversity, you can look at it through a number of different prisms, gender, faith and everything else. But cognitive di diversity and, and recently there's been more articles on neurodiversity. Actually, you're going to get something different that will make uh, that will allow the team to achieve their goal in a different way. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think people are starting to talk. I mean, you know, diversity is such a massive topic at the moment. But what I'm really pleased with is that the neurocognitive piece is becoming more prevalent because it is so utterly relevant. So um, and the sort of good, you know, when women and men work well together in the army, what does that look like? Well, I think the... 
I, I've felt and I've seen it where it hasn't worked. So I, maybe I should start with by, by giving you an example of that because, and you you would have probably have experienced it yourself. But I, I was a uh, part of um, a member of staff um, teaching majors uh, in a syndicate group, so groups of fifteen. And one of my colleagues who also had a group of fifteen came to me and said, "I'm not really sure what to do with this in this situation." And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Well, I've, you know, he 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 was." He recognised that he'd come from, um, uh, you know, he was uh, only having brothers in his family. He went to an all-boys school. He went to Sandhurst, which was single sex at the time in, in platoons. Um, the, he went joined the infantry and uh, he hadn't been out of regimental duty until this particular point. So he'd never worked professionally with another female. So he, he reached out and said, I'm not sure she's, you know, this particular person has got a particular problem. It was... Um, wanting a bit more time or flexibility for a particular area or she wasn't doing well in her work and and, and and got a bit emotional and he wasn't used to it. So I just explained to him, you know, do what you would do for anybody else. And and that doesn't mean you treat everybody the same. It means you approach how you're going to deal with it in a, in, in, um, in, in a similar way. But it doesn't mean the outcomes are going to be the same because we're all different. So, um, um, so, by not having that grounding early, which we have changed since 2015 at Sandhurst through our training and, and our and the way that we use our platooning there, um, by by having that uh, you know as normalised from the from the get go for the army, it's it's it will change the culture in the long run. But there's some still legacy pockets where people are just simply sure. not used to working with each other. Yeah, and you probably you probably found it as well, but. There is a, I mean, there's a distinct advantage, and I, I've written a paper about, you know, making the case for gender diversity in the army. I and and more specifically, more women, yes. because I mean, you will know when we've gone on tour that if you're you're, you know, it's particularly in a Muslim country, you won't be able to access half the population and yes. your intelligence yes. field. Exactly. So it doesn't make any yep. sense to have an all male battle group going out to Mali, for example. No, you know? no, exactly. Use your resources wisely. Hundred <laughs> yes, percent. Exactly. <laughs> So sort of along those lines, um, I've heard you talking about attributing your own success to, um, and I think the exact words you used were consciously putting yourself out there, um, which of course reminds me of um, Cheryl Sambo's lean in philosophy. Um, so it's not a one dimensional approach. So how do you think young women, either in the army or outside, can discover what is their own authentic way of putting, putting themselves out there obliquely leaning in? It's a really good question, Lisa. I think the uh, I, I, it it was not in my nature to necessarily um, uh, put myself out there, you know, as this amazing role model. And I know um, one of our other senior generals, um, General Sharon A. Smith, um, openly mm. talks about this. Uh, it, it, you know that that it don't, you don't feel comfortable sort of overselling it. But unless we've got um, we. I realised quite quickly when I was was um, at Sandhurst and a couple of uh, cadets next to me said, excuse me, are you the new college commander that's just arriving? And I said, yeah, um, yeah I am. I'm, you know, I'm here to get my boots just like you are. And they, they looked at each other and they were so excited to have somebody yeah, that, that, that um, looked like them that was in a senior position. And I thought whether I like it or not, uh, it's really important that um, I um i i embrace the opportunity 
and yeah. champion and you know sure. the the the, the uh, opportunities for other yeah. young women coming through so yeah it is a bit yeah. leaning it's a bit it's a bit um Cheryl Sandberg and and so specific advice that I would offer to to um young women that may be listening to this is um and actually the men out there as well it is is you need to be a diversity ally and that's works two ways so you do need to support each other and if you don't do see something that you are is inappropriate you don't feel comfortable with because I feel if you don't feel comfortable sure as eggs you know that that means it probably isn't right um you, you know it's having the courage and the confidence to step in and know that it's likely to land and call it out yeah 100 yep. percent. and um and i think the the i've i've heard authentic leadership also phrased as being appropriately transparent oh okay which I means you're one. not which means you're not breaking down in a in a in a wibble mess because you you're feeling a bit you know highly strung at the time or uh, you know because we're all human beings and we all work differently and um and we can react to contexts and and situations in you know uh in different ways um so so there's a time and a place to you know to show your emotions but um and um but i think it's important that we are happy to do so and don't try and uh to to cover it up uh i think there are some some companies out there that they call it uncovering and as and rather than diversity inclusivity behaviors they're calling it uncovering as well which means uncovering who you really are when you go to the workplace but that emotional thing is as appropriate for men 100% I mean, I, I, at Sandhurst, I used to do a lot of interviews um, with cadets coming through and um, I'd have people breaking down in, in front of me, men and women, because they they often have yeah. built up a lot of their own sense of being and worth and um, they've done something wrong or they've got it wrong and they've, and they, they you know, they've suppressed how they're really feeling. Yeah. And I yeah. think maybe I had an opportunity to unlock getting to the heart of what's really bothering them. And it usually is something completely different to why they're in front of me because they've been drunk or got in trouble or overslept or whatever it might be. There's usually something behind that. So very important to be yourself, um, whatever that might be. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, if I could indulge and finish off with some quick fire questions. Um, I have seen a lovely picture of you with Kathy Lett at the Woman of the Year lunch in 2016. I think she's wearing your army hat. Um, who was the most interesting person that you spoke to at that lunch and why? Well, I, I, I'll be a bit cheeky. I'll give you two. One of them was... Um... One of them, I, I sat through the dinner with, um, or the luncheon, I should say, with uh, Sonia Freeman. And she does all the production for a lot of West End um, shows in um, New York and over uh, here in London as well. So a lot of musicals, etc. And she was running uh, with uh, all the Harry Potter stuff and Cursed Child stuff. So she was just fascinating. And all we did was talked about her dogs, really. And she, she's got these two amazing little dogs. So we had a lovely conversation um, and she was she was really interesting. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't say it was it was also lovely at that table to just chat with um, um, uh, Theresa May as well. He was prime minister oh, wow. at the time. Um, she, she came wow. in, and she was promised at the time. Yeah, wow. well, she came in to present a specific award to uh, a group of ladies who were part of the Hillsborough um, uh, piece. And it was I got quite emotional because. 
Mm. And, and she, you, it doesn't matter what your politics are, what they seized on, and these were big Liverpudlian girls that have got a view, they really valued the fact that she went and spoke to them in their homes and listened and listened. And yeah. um, they get she presented an award to them for all the campaigning that they had done on the Hillsborough um, uh, uh, incident. And... Um, and and you know she, it was it was fascinating and yeah she was only able to come in and out but she really wanted to be there and it was it was it was great so that's who I enjoyed speaking to. Wow, how how interesting. Um, second question, and I'm going to I'm afraid indulge myself massively here. So when I was in the army, as I think you knew, I was the first ever female uh, leader of the White Helmets. White Helmets motorcycle display team. And I actually made it to page three of the Daily Star with the headline, she's blonde, she's beautiful, and every day she takes 26 strapping young men for the ride of their lives. Don't ever believe what you read in uh, newspapers. Um, so Lucy, what is your favourite newspaper quotation about you? Lisa, I've still got that cutting, you know, in, in no. my archive. I really do. It was brilliant. Yeah, I, th I thought it was a classic. I mean, I'm glad you said the Daily um, Star as well. The Daily Star. <laughs> um, hey, listen, uh, um, I, think, I think the media tend to seize on something that's going to sell papers uh, as, as yes, it did in your course. case. But, um, and, and, it, and it tends to take away from the fact that what I know in your case, you know, you did an amazing job doing that. And I know, you know, seeing you coolly zip around in on your motorbike was pretty, you know, hardcore. Falling yeah. off, you're being far too kind, falling <laughs> off regularly. But I, I think I, I, did, I did, was on, on a Times 2 supplement um, and, it, and it said, the army colonel who gets women to the top. And I think recently I did another one and it said, army sexism is is still in the army or something and then in the small print it said but it's getting better because that's what I oh, said brilliant. but it, brilliant. you know so I mean they'll they'll print what they want and it's tomorrow's um fish and chips you could argue so um yeah I, I, yeah. I tend to I've, I've got they make good frames in toilets you know yeah <laughs> the scrapbook something to something to, for the kids to take to yeah 100 um uh and finally I'm going to assume that your boss is a he, actually, but I'm going to assume your boss is a he. Finally, what does your boss not know about you that he should? Well, I work to, I do work directly to Mel, but but he then works to General Sharon Naismith. So ah, it's okay. great. And, um, okay, either. Yeah, so we could, we could cut it two ways. But I think what he doesn't know about me is that I'm a girl guiding ambassador and that okay. I've got a badge. <laughs> so oh, um, so it's super exciting brilliant. who doesn't like a badge if anyone's done scouts or guides and things like that and I'm really excited about doing this for two reasons one because it, it keeps you in touch with a sector of, uh, of, of people out there that um and and the volunteer backbone of our society that make things happen in it and you fit, it's great to be part of that genre and it keeps keeps you keeps you on your toes and secondly, um, it means you can, you know, it makes you think and keeps your brain sharp about trying to think of activities mm. for, for, for the the young girls to, um, you know, develop their leadership and um, and so on. And and in my badge, it, it's it's so exciting. It's shaped like a medal, <laughs> but you can turn it around the other way, and it's a vessel for orient, you know, for for um oh. for, for you know, it's got a dual function. Yeah, so so it's got a vessel there and uh, with a, a direction of travel. And so the pitch I make that links me with the badge is that it's got the colours of the suffragettes in there, purple purple green. It's got the um, yeah. 
it's got obviously the girl guiding logos and things on it but importantly it's about setting your direction of travel your purpose in life to be really clear and and you can deviate from that at times but it's really important to slave it on so you always keep true to yourself and keep honest to yourself fantastic and and the thing that will resonate with you lisa is that the the motto that i've got on it which you and i are very familiar with is serve to lead fantastic well i when i next see you in full uh regalia with all your medals i fully expect to see that girl guide badge on the side of it maybe <laughs> need to ask special to put permission. It on my, i must i'm gonna see if i can and put all you know get away no with camp it. blanket see if I'll put it on my, my combats or something yeah <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Lucy, as I expected, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, f- lots of fun and a privilege um, to both prepare for, actually, and also um, take part in this interview with you. I think you're a fantastic um, role model um, in so many senses of the word. So, Colonel Lucy Giles, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.